Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. Today I'm joined by Dr. Charlie Martin, who practices in Monterey, California. Dr. Martin is a Gonstead Fellow and the past chairman of the Board of Fellows. Dr. Martin is someone that I've looked up to since I was a student, and I've always found our conversations to be both enlightening and challenging. I always love and appreciate how he gets me to think about things I don't often think about. Today we're going to be talking about palpation. We all do it, but how do we know if we're doing it right? What is the goal of palpation? And how do we know if we're using it to its fullest potential? These are all questions we will explore today. So without any further ado, Dr. Charlie Martin. Hello, Dr. Martin. Thank you for joining us today. It was my pleasure, David. Could you start off by telling us how you got into chiropractic and more specifically how you got into Gonstead chiropractic? Oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of uh, feel I was just entered through a special door. Um, I had always been interested in helping people, you know, as, as a kind of an intentional act and you know, I, I initially went to four-year college and got a degree in psychology. This was at uh, UCSB or University of California, Santa Barbara. And while I was down there, I hitchhiked a lot. This was back in the 60s, 70s. And I got one day I got picked up um, by... Uh, interesting guy who was driving a big white Cadillac convertible. He had a big white, you know, large Texas cowboy hat on and, and uh, was wearing a, a white suit and he was just beaming with energy. And I, I just, you know, was, was kind of almost flabbergasted by, by his energy. And I said, I just said, well, hey, and, and he was like 65 years old. And I said, what is going on with you? Or in some way, shape or form, asked that question. And he said, you know, I'm a chiropractor. I just graduated from chiropractic college and I'm getting ready to start my practice. And it just blew my mind. I, I don't know. It just really impressed me. And I said, wow, there is something here that I that I want to know about. And so I finished my degree in psychology and like just almost the minute I, I understood that I had done it, I just said, I can't do this. This is this is a low. This is really a, a you know, a, a difficult way to help people. I mean, I feel like I might be able to help like 10 people really in my whole life. And I just, I, I my mind went back to, to uh, the chiropractor and I just started looking at local chiropractic offices. I wasn't really that impressed. There were some medical offices uh, and so forth, uh, medical style chiropractic practices. And I wasn't impressed and I got back to Monterey and I actually uh, consulted with different chiropractors here and it was really a, a great um, a great sampling of practices but the one that kind of stuck with me was uh, Richard Thornton's practice uh, 
And so he suggested I go to do Gonstead, and I did. And I actually caught the last sem seminar that Dr. Gonstead did. And I, to, for the life of me, that was just I, I really incomprehensible to me. But the certainty and confidence and um, just uh, the, the um, knowledge that he exuded about in a practical way about helping people really stuck with me. And so I, I kept kept at it. And then we started a large local group and we created a venue for growing. Uh, that was the Monterey Bay Clinical Studies Society. That ultimately became a GCSS. And, and it's just, I, I've really felt um, that's a, a very important um, path that that was laid out. And I, I feel it almost as though I was led. And that's not uncommon, I think, in our profession. I, I've heard, in fact, there's a guy who described, interestingly, this is going to sound really out there, but who knows, it's a subjective thing that, that he had a similar experience to chiropractor in Monterey with a guy that sounds kind of similar, not the Cadillac and all that, but just some charismatic figure that influenced him as well. So it's fun. I mean, it's an interesting journey. It's intellectually just fascinating to me. And I like the practicality of it. Just the hands-on is, is, is so natural and, uh, and um, organic that it, it just hits all the right places in me anyway. So that's cool. the whole, probably the pertinent points on that question, David. That's very interesting. I, from the people I've talked to who have seen, who actually attended a seminar with Gonstead, it seems as though we try so hard to recreate that and yet we never can because we just can't reproduce him, but we do the best we can. So I think for those people who got to enjoy that, that really, it really made a huge difference in where we've gone as a profession since then. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Godstead really didn't intend for us to just robotically, you know, do, do what he did, but he would, he wanted to correct things that weren't um, that that weren't really valid, and just like correct, you know, function of bones that isn't really valid and 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 healthy. And but I don't think he insisted we necessarily copy things he did, but but he he would explain why he felt you know what what he the way he saw it was more uh, valid and yeah I, I like your position we have to let people be in their own discovery process with direct work with their patients and um, you know that that is one of the things he did is he was really really present and connected with his patients and that's how he learned so much. It was based on that, not that he read it, his own chapters. I mean, Gonstead didn't do Gonstead. He just did chiropractic. And that was 
how, and he had that intuitive sense of like biomechanics and practicality, uh, kind of horse sense. And he had a wonderful way of communicating with people in, in, you know, different Im imagery and, and, uh, folklore kind of statements. So, um, I think that's really what we, in Gonstead, what we want to get across is just being uh, genuine and caring. And I, w I would have to say that that is probably the, the one characteristic that that really impressed me with the group too, is that they're really fantastic people. They're really caring people. Uh, they really want to, you know, uh, make real changes in in how people function and how they feel and uh so so it's it's a great path i think it's one of the best overall paths and it's a good group uh, they challenge each other when necessary they support each other when necessary so um, yeah i tell the story often and i always give you credit that several years ago you asked me what did gonstead call what he did and it was a question I hadn't really thought about. And the more I thought about it, the more confused I became. And I finally realized I have no idea. So I said, I have no idea. And you said he called it chiropractic. And I had kind of thought about that before. But the idea that he was not a man who was trying to develop a technique. He wasn't trying to create anything new. And he wasn't, when he was first asked to teach seminars, he didn't want to do it. He wasn't trying to become famous and he wasn't trying to put himself on a pedestal. He was trying to figure out how to do chiropractic in the best way possible. And I do think that one thing we all have in common is that's kind of how we end up in Gonstead is that we're really just looking for the best way to do chiropractic. And it turns out that Gonstead figured it out and gave us a system we can use to try to do it at the highest level possible. And and that, that's really why, why we're doing what we're doing. So I, I like that story because I think the same way it affected my, my thinking, I think it affects a lot of other people's thinking to realize that Gonstead wasn't trying to create a, a technique and he wasn't trying to name something after himself. He was just trying to figure out how to do our job the best way possible. Exactly right. In the moment, he wanted the best adjustment he could give, the best analysis he could give. And then even in his teaching, he wanted to impart the, the best uh, knowledge he could in, in the moment. So, um, you know, how, how can you lose, how can you miss the mark when, when that's the way you approach care for your patients? So, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's basic. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to miss the fact that it's you doing it. It's the doctor doing it. It's, not you mimicking something it's you giving that healthy force to the spine and you giving that head heart and hands analysis and carefully taking what you can and trying to piece it together and working with the result you got on the real patient and putting together an understanding in the system that is um based on uh, empirical results that you see and that you and that you create and 
that's in the clinical in the clinical realm. It's not theoretical. It's it's on the in the realm where the patient lives in in the in their their daily functioning uh, real life operational world, and that that kind of I'm I'm I've been thinking in those terms since we initially talked a while back about how palpation kind of gets us there because that is um, the bones working day you know moment to moment day to day in the body of a human being and that those bones can work very efficiently and create a really uh, successful impression on the nervous system that is um, that's that's positive for the the whole organism. I mean, it just registers as a well-functioning uh, life and and uh, organism versus bones that that work i mean you could still get up and walk around but it's it's with effort and it's with difficulty and that's sort of the backdrop of that person's operational um, set that they that they live day to day uh, moment to moment struggling in a sense so that's the one thing about <clears throat> motion palpation that that will be revealed by motion palpation is how well that activity is is occurring you know at at any one of the you know there are 26 uh joints in the spine or levels in the spine and then each of those may have you know five to seven joints and so you we we are a really lot of moving pieces a lot of moving parts that that are supposed to be interrelated and coordinated and and so as that starts to break down the spine will still continue people will still get up go to their car and, and drive to work but it's with resistance and effort and it's really a downgraded experience and so in my understanding of you know what we're attempting to do in chiropractic is to really free up the function of the joints you know the ones per particularly the ones that are chronic um, and uh, resistant and they basically are out of sync with with the program that the rest of the spine would like to engage in that uh, obviously originates in the brain uh, or with the brain. So in that light, motion palpation really is a tr could be a tremendous tool if we are allowed to uh, learn it really well and understand it um, and, and use it in a very practical sense. I know that if our job is to um, 
improved biomechanics, um, which is really kind of a hybrid of uh, biology and and uh, physics, mm-hmm. physics as applied to a living organism, um, then the heart of that is motion, motion of the the neuromusculoskeletal system. So in that light, I would like us to explore, and I'm not sure where we are in our outline, but uh, (laughs) at some point I'd like us to kind of look at it in that light and possibly discuss techniques and applications that might work in that way. Yeah, for me, what's interesting, we had talked about this before, is when I started palpating as a student, I didn't really enjoy it. And I didn't like doing it. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact, like most students, they don't know what they're doing or how to do it. And if you're not getting any feedback or any information, then you're kind of wasting your time. And so your students walk through their motion palpating, and they might motion palpate for five minutes. And they still don't have any info because that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So as I was developing my palpation, I thought, well, I want it to be efficient because I don't have all day to do this, but I also need to get the maximum amount of information I can get. So how do I maximize information? And so in the end, I have a feeling probably a lot of people are the same way. I kind of developed my own palpation system. And so one of the things we talked about originally was the fact that within the Gonstead system, we all use palpation. But it's a pretty good bet that no two of us do it alike. Some people use certain tools and some people use other tools and some have more validity, some have less validity. But in the end, it's what brings what gets you to the subluxation and you know if it worked or not by whether or not you get results. So it is kind of a an odd thing that we do that we all do this palpation and yet we have no formal way of doing it, I suppose. Yeah, no, that that is... Uh, a troubling thing for us because in light of what you just said and what my my understanding of biomechanics is that it's really about efficient movement yet we we kind of have not pinned down how we as a fairly uh systematic you know seminar or whatever we 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 have a system that's pretty uniformly taught and pretty well uh, put out there. That that has not been pinned down and has not been optimized, and it therefore is, ends up being confusing and frustrating more than it is revealing of biomechanics. And so I... And and I would love to work with you and and there's some others as well to see if we can really uh, come up and and it doesn't have to be the final word but it it should at least be something that will pin down more than just see you know check the motion you know when you say quote check the motion uh, it 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 is more specific and more um, clear and what it is that that is the motion because you can feel muscles moving 
and bunching up and moving and elongating and moving laterally back and forth across bony structures. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm not used to talking so much, but um, and you can feel portions of bones moving back and forth. You can feel regional motion. Um, what which of those is it, David? I mean, which what are we yeah. feeling? Yeah, it's weird. I even even the other day I was talking to somebody on, and I. I immediately put my thumb right on it. And I was like, there's a problem right there. And the patient said, yes. So the student next to me goes, well, how did you know that was the spot? And I said, well, I can feel the disc. And they were like, you can feel the disc? And I said, yes. And they held up a spine. They said, how are you feeling the disc? I'm like, I don't know. I just am. <laughs> like, it's, it's this weird thing that's otherworldly. Yeah. I, I think what, what we're interested in Godstead, it kind of makes me, uh, maybe interpret your your statement in in bio in in biomechanical terms is that you're feeling the intersegmental motion which the disc is a big determiner of how one segment will function on top of the other because of all the uh you know the lamina the the crisscross patterns and all of that is non-uniform i mean in a brand new spine it may be fresh off the shelf uniform but you know as you get some miles on you and you you've taken some hits and the things heal with you know non-uniform non-homogeneous uh, uh, tissues and that will affect functionality of the disc and if you're really astute you will pick up those aberrations um, if it's a valid test and and making palpation valid is the other big um, void in terms of how to do a valid motion palpation test because um, the patient position will have a lot to do whether the, you're you're impacting the joint you think you're palpating. Um, I've seen where if you flex the patient a little bit, you can elicit better motion palpation findings or if you extend them a little bit. And how do you motion palpate a scoliosis? I mean, you have to make sure that if you're lateral flexing the patient, you're you're truly laterally flexing the patient, so you do it obliquely, right? You you don't just palpate right and left in the uh, in the wide plane. You you palpate obliquely um, because that's the way the bones are underneath the skin. So you have to visually engage in palpation with understanding of, of anatomy and the x-ray x-ray is such an interesting addition to our work because it it gives us the three-dimensional image of what it is 
that we're working on real time, you know, in in the flesh. And that that imagery will give us a lot of tips on what it is we're feeling. Mm-hmm. as well as what it is ultimately we want to do to help the bone ultimately settle in a, in a healthy and balanced uh, functional position um, as we restore the alignment and the balance to the spine. So kind of cycling back that's how all the parts of the system work the five elements um and each of those will help make the others more valid i think that's one thing the the high level accomplished gonstead doctor does that maybe the beginner doesn't do is they they can't interrelate and intercorrelate how all that milieu of information pouring in about the patient in your in your treatment room how all that really ties together but ultimately it has to tie together if what you're doing is is accurate what you're doing is valid um for for really augmenting uh, biomechanical function and biomechanical health um, and provide yeah. neurological health. The only reason I think biomechanics, um, not the only reason, but the chief reason that biomechanics is important is because just like this recording that that's being made of us, the brain is recording everything that happens in the body and it's saying, man, this is just so tricked out this is so great you know uh we can live forever we can we can uh go to work and be healthy and productive i mean that's the backdrop and the brain's always recording that and and therefore biomechanics becomes hugely important because that's a continuous input to the brain continuous and changing and dynamic and so that's therein is uh i think chiropractic explained in very practical terms to uh in a nutshell so um, yeah you're right because if you've got there are different ways of assessing the spine so whether it's visualization or x-ray or static palpation or motion palpation or the nervous scope these are just different perspectives of the same patient so they all have some bearing in reality of that patient and yet none of them tells the whole story by itself so it's like having five different perspectives of an object and now you have to render a three-dimension three-dimensional image from that you're using these different perspectives to bring them all together so they should all relate to the patient and then in some degree they need to relate to each other and i think with motion palpation what often ends up happening is that motion palpation we're feeling for fixation and then we substitute fixation for subluxation and now we're adjusting fixations instead of adjusting subluxations and that's the slippery slope of palpation yeah yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there can be 
fixations and even even detecting fixations gets us right back to where we started and are you really are you feeling a bone fixation are you feeling a a muscle a rigidity type fixation are you feeling a avoidance emotion avoidance in other words if there's inflammation on let's say the right side your body's going to avoid going to the right side it has to it's going to try to get out of that and that that can feel like a fixation or a resistance and so you know even even to determine yeah fixations are the sensation that this kind of gets where i wanted to go based on yeah i'm trying to get to the heart of this uh this dilemma and potentially not end this here with you david but yeah. carry it on to where when we teach stuff we really teach it it's not just words that are repeated you know from the person that we heard them from they're actually a refinement over time and a, an elaboration of that and and a bringing into um br bringing them alive in new practitioners and and old practitioners and vivifying the accuracy of those things but the the premises for palpating are um i the you know palpating and feeling i think are don't accurately describe what we're doing we're we're really trying to use our fingertips like like probes or like like uh test instruments that that are uh, that are used with precision and understanding of what it is they're testing and it's it's got to be looked at in that light if we want to go to the to the accuracy place if we just want to get a general sense oh it's not moving this way it's not moving that way that's then you don't need to you can call it palpating and feeling and things like that but i think it's more like uh sensing it's more i've always compared palpating palpation to listening it's almost a place where you quiet your thinking you quiet your mind down the same way you would to really attend and listen to something carefully but you you cross sense it in your in your body you cross sense it you're not listening for sound you're listening for me, for movement and and yeah. so but it's that same level of attention and the area that you're uh focused on should be you know you can look at global movement but ultimately you should look at a very small area that you're 
studying for movement and it should be in my methods and palpation it should be um a, a kind of a small movement just just how how available are the vertebral segments to just the ongoing you know tens of thousands of slight movements and variations that happen throughout the day how readily do the bones just go along with that program if they're going along with that program then they're not a problem in my estimation if they're jamming if they're restricted if they're awkward if they're erratic if they're, there's a number of changes in how bones move that aren't just even fixations i mean we want to understand i in explaining to patients what i'm doing with palpation i say you know i in my thinking what i want to do is i want to be like i want to understand what your bones go through all day long every day <clears throat> so you know i'm not going to push you way over this way or way over that way because you don't really do that but your bones are subtly moving and shifting gravitational alignment, um, you know, tens of thousands of times a day. I mean, we, we, for you know, human beings are supposed to take 10,000 steps a day. Well, how many times do your bones shift even subtly just taking one step? Okay, so it's, your bones are, are, are undergoing dynamics constantly as long in your waking hours and they may even be doing it at night in terms of like how they lay and how they ultimately rest but certainly during the day and that's that's what i want to know i want to be like you know like a not just you know get your blood pressure checked uh, once a year in the doctors but like have one of those monitors that of those halter monitors that follows you around and really gives you what is the sum total of of health healthy function or some total of distressed function that your body self generates it just when you get up and move and do do your life basically what is the net result what's the what's the reward the benefit and what's the teardown that that's that's where I'm thinking when I am palpating is like, what would this be like if that happened all day long every day? So that's what I'm looking for in palpation. So it's not a giant movement, and um, I think we sometimes get sidetracked with trying to get a listing. I know when I was learning a lot of the work people will go because oh, you can get a listing off of palpation well to me you know if you want a real listing you can look at the x-ray and even the x-ray you can't you know you have to be prepared to not do what your eyeballs see on the x-ray mm -hmm. because there's anomalies and variations and other factors so um you know the the point is that the uh dynamics uh of 
motion palpation really should be the story and and I I get that you should be able to pick up where the where the wedge is and stuff and you know where the the nucleus has shifted and in me in my thinking that's just academic and so it kind of just is a different it's a different reason to palpate than to just get a sense of the healthy uh, response of a bone operating you know in a gravitational environment all day with forces going through it back and forth and back and forth and you know ad nauseum really so to me that's that's sort of a, a couple of points i know i i, I kind of started in one place and, and ended up in another starting with the mindset being one of quiet really quietly listening for movement i mean it doesn't make sense but you're you're quietly listening as you're moving the bones you're listening through your fingertips another way to put it and uh and then we ended up with all the dynamics of subtlety subtle movements and it's probably hundreds of thousands of movements that all the bones in the spine go through daily and that the brain is listening the brain is appraising its own state of readiness and and uh, ability you know 24 7 no doubt anyway uh, uh so we we know with subluxation that we're gonna you like to launch on any of that yeah, there's a few things I thought of in there. And actually, it was working pretty. It was very interesting because I hadn't really thought about it. But we know that with subluxation, there's a there's aberrant proprioception. And so the brain of the patient is not in well, well in communication with that particular joint. But based on the work of Heidi Havoc, we know that the brain always thinks that it is. So it thinks it has this connection, but it doesn't have this connection. And when we stick our finger in there to palpate, it's almost like substitutionary palpation, uh, substitutionary proprioception. So we're going to stick our finger in there, and it now becomes the measure of proprioception. We move the patient, whether in large movements, small, subtle movements, but we move the patient, and now we're taking the, the proprioceptive information, but we're downloading it to our brains. Mm-hmm. And now we know how that joint is moving, which, if done correctly, we also then know what it needs to correct it. Yeah, And so building on that base, it's kind of like, well, you can see the doctoring here because if you were thinking of it being like a machine, like a car, it's basically the mechanic coming along, plugging into the car and finding out what's wrong with the car that the car has not yet identified as wrong with itself and then making the tweak that needs to be made so the car can now go back to function fully. And that's essentially what we're doing is we're becoming a, 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 we're becoming a substitute uh, proprioception gauge to measure how it's moving. And I, I think that you're absolutely right with the smaller movements. That's something I've kind of been talking a little bit about lately. So it's nice to hear somebody else say it, that a lot of times the proprioception is too big of a movement. It's too, too large and it needs to be shrunk down and you need to do a smaller movement and feel the real quality of that movement in like the first couple millimeters of movement to really know how that joint's functioning. Yeah, that that's, that makes sense to me. And, um, 
particularly if a patient is acute, there, the, that acute factor throws off palpation um, very easily. So if you're swinging people yeah. right and left and right and left, you're going to miss a lot because as soon as they start going more than just a few degrees, they're going to tighten up and, and it just gets very, um, I wish I knew more of the scientific terms, but the, the test becomes invalid because it's not, uh, there are confounding, uh, confounding events that take place that almost um, invalidate it as a test almost, you know, it's just like, well, if a patient comes in and they're real acute, uh, you don't, you're not going to motion palpate them with any great accuracy. You're, you're going to see that, you know, they're all locked up period. And, right. and you're going to have to go by, um, x-ray findings you're going to have to go by just basic understanding case management you're going to have to go uh just get the ball rolling you know and then ultimately you know as the the, the massive distortion of the the local physiology at that area the inflammatory reaction starts to subside then you can start to understand some of the the more long-standing blockages if it's you know anybody probably over the age of 40 has complexity mm -hmm. in in their uh, biomechanics of their spine maybe somebody who's eight or ten years old doesn't but you, you're you're dealing with the patient's present trauma but you're also dealing with their past traumas and at the same time that's the way the body looks at it it tries to heal as well as possible and if it gets a secondary injury after that it's it's now got to confront any little shortcuts that it took or that the the person took because they didn't heal themselves correctly or fully the body now goes back, has to kind of like figure it out based on not norm, normal, but based on the uh, the way it healed, which is abnormal. So that's that's kind of a challenge that. Um, well, I, I always invite the patient to like, you know, we're, we'll we'll take care of your acute you know demanding problem today obviously this you're not having fun and you're all you can't function you can't go to work you can't deal with your family uh so that has to obviously be taken care of you know as as goal one but as we get into this um there's opportunity for you to heal for some old stuff that you kind of moved on from typically people once they get about 85% recovered in their mind, they think they're healthy. But in terms of the way your body thinks, in terms of longevity and quality, 
it's that last 15% that's the most important. That's what lands you and heals you and makes you well. So, and that's the hard part for patients to understand is, you know, they say, oh, I'm fine now. And that's usually about 85%. It's, and so um, in terms of really giving people the opportunity to benefit from what chiropractic can do for them, you would encourage the patient to make sure that they give it reasonable time frames. That that is that they extend out as long as necessary the the time frame that they're going to stay involved with the healing process as long as it is necessary. Not not go off, you know, ballpark or or generic time frames. I mean, that's that's the exciting part to me is helping whole bodies heal um, in fullness, right? Because if you can heal something in full that's going on, you will understand how to heal other things in full because you it, it's it's ending the job before the job is done that catches up to you ultimately. And I think that's what, you know, what um, everybody ultimately in their imagination, they want to get and stay well and healthy, you know, for the whole time they're alive if possible. So that, that's uh, somewhat related. We're talking about the dynamics of being a living, breathing, operating human being with this interesting spinal column that was an evolutionary breakthrough at some point. You know, at one point we were just operated out of a shell and then that was bulky and, and non-adaptative and then nature decided to, you know, put together some cartilage and made like sharks. They have, they don't have a bony their, their chordates, they have segmentation, but they're, it's all cartilage. And then we, you know, or something evolved out of that. I don't know, have all the steps, but then it become ossified with just remnants of cartilage between the bones. And then now that's basically what we're doing. And it, it, it's great because it provides rigidity in a passive sense. In other words, um, a bone is non-deformable, so it will maintain its shape, and the joints allow the bones to move and be adaptable. So it's really, a, I think, a kind of stroke of genius to combine all those unique tissues to give us the capabilities we have, but it does come, it's a very sophisticated system, and it does come with some some kind of attending to. I don't think you can do nothing and expect the spine to be a healthy structure. I think that's insane. I think people have tried it and it's every time everyone who's ever tried it has ultimately failed. Um, it does require um, 
operational understanding and you know kind of maintenance and that's just uh, you can't you won't be able to talk me out of it i know that much it's just it's just way sophisticated well one of the things that always happens to me is that the patient gives their history and as they're giving their history and i'm hearing certain keywords or certain things my i'm immediately starting to rule out certain areas and rule in other areas so by the time they're done with their history i'm already have a pretty good idea in my mind of it's probably this this or this what palpation does is it then connects me to the patient where I have to now divorce myself of these biases I've just created. And I have to connect with the reality of the patient, what is actually moving and not moving. And it's amazing how many times I have an image in my head. And then when I palpate them go, oh, that's what's happening. I never would have guessed that, obviously. It's a good thing I'm feeling them <laughs> so I can feel what's actually happening and not happening. And it kind of, to me, it's like that grounding that just gives you a chance to really connect with the patient and see what's actually happening in this patient what is dysfunctional? How is it dysfunctional? To what extent is it dysfunctional? And you just start pulling all this real information rather than just biases based on, I don't know, repetitiveness, um, what I've seen in the past. Because we rely a lot on experience and experience should never be discounted. But sometimes that same experience can, can pigeonhole you into assuming too quickly. And, and the palpation keeps us honest with what's actually happening in that patient. Yeah, I mean, find it on the patient, right? Isn't that, yeah. isn't that, that that's like, um, I mean, if you're not finding it on the patient, then you shouldn't do it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can yeah so other, other than that, it's just an interesting story. And God knows we like to tell stories both to ourselves <laughs> and to others. But, but that's, that's circles us back around to what is you know the how large is the benefit to actually feel disruptions in healthy function i mean in the end the rest of it's just conjecture and stories and and thumbnail sketches and um but in the end it it has to be real with what the tissue is challenged by and what what the problems the tissue is having. We know that the body can heal things. I mean, as soon as any type of life formed, it was challenged with adversity and it either had the ability to repair from that adversity or it perished. It just never, it just would never never move on so we know the body knows how to heal but it it can get kind of trapped or engaged in um repetitive trauma um it can get engaged in inappropriate healing responses and in my thinking, what we're really doing is we're we're reestablishing normal uh, normal conditions that help the brain re reorient to what it will do 
when there is trauma or distress in the body, it will help it reorient anew to that task and 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 make it more more um, more pointed and more a stronger response in terms of restoring health and restoring function. And healthy function of the body and my of the spine is um, a huge input to that. And so the the actual rubber on the road understanding of the motion of joints and the effects on the on the nervous system and the effects on the joints themselves where the rubber meets the road is ultimately what we got to find and fix and then we can sit back for teaching purposes and we can go okay the patient said this and that and this and that and we found this and that and this and that and then that helped this and that and this and that and put together a little case so that if somebody Here's some of that. It does bring them, you know, out of left field and and you know wherever the ball is landing, they 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 are now in the area where they they can actually find things. Or if you're confused, or if you're, you know, um, just just kind of not not picking up, not picking up the enough signs to go with those those do help re refocus you or or get you into an area where you can maybe but ultimately you have to find it on the patient and therein is the challenge and kind of brings us full circle to the to the students and i, I know what you're talking about because I, I am there. I mean, I was there. I'm still there. Is you um, put your hands on the patient and you start questioning what you're feeling, and you're just—it's a barrage of sensations. And I believe that that's only because the the way that you are creating the movement is not consistent it's like the glide pattern with the scope it's got to match the patient's um skin effects the the way the skin displays temperatures it's got to match the area that you're in it's it's got to be you know go around certain anatomical features and once you understand all that it becomes really consistent and palpation is the same once your technique of palpating becomes uniform and consistent then you're going to you learn all kinds of things but when we teach students just kind of move them back and forth and you don't they're going to the, the body's going to feel it and you and I'm sure you've seen it with students I've seen it with them too they kind of light up like, oh, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm getting this. And then about 30 seconds later, they're more confused than ever. And they just throw up their hands and they go, I guess, 
you know, my brain isn't healthy or my brain isn't smart or something. And we don't, we can't help students if the way they walk away from the lesson is that their brain is stupid. Um, something has to be partially, at least partially understood or partially eliminated as a, as a experience that they just got. So anyway, yeah, maybe we can, not maybe, let's not do maybe, but um, maybe as I'm just trying to think of the way to do it, but it, it would really help doctors to, to have a, a door that they go through to begin to experience what um, the character of motion is that they're feeling. There's a certain character to it, and it's not only just a certain extent, but a certain character to it. And we need to help them um, identify what it is they're trying to feel and to be able to consistently um, regenerate that that feeling by how you move the the body around by you know you create the motion and then you feel the motion that you created um, I think if the patient just moves themselves back and forth actively, you're that that's not it. That's just a range of motion test. Mm -hmm. So we uh, will we'll dialogue on this maybe a little bit, um, but I, I'm glad we're in agreement that that from a dynamic standpoint, it's the only real test we have to get a get a sense of the character and the impact of of movement um on the on the spine and in and on the human being and in their life so it is something that um and, and i believe our group is the one to come up with the ability to reproduce, and we started this long you know, weeks ago, we need to be able to have different people reproduce the same finding. I think our group can do that because we all palpate, we've developed the rudimentary feelings and you know the neurology. I mean, you don't you're not born with the ability to palpate, it's something your nervous system develops and you know you you ultimately have to have a chiropractor's body and you're not born that way you you develop skills just like you're not born a concert pianist you you practice and you think about it and you um, become absorbed directly into the work and it changes you back and then you become more and more refined and and your nervous system actually 
actually adapts yeah. in that way. So, but anyway, I well, I have one more. I have one more question for you. Okay. Because I think it gets at the heart of the it that we're looking for. Because I get this from students, they want to know how do you know when you're done palpating. Um. Just practically, <laughs> I'm done palpating when I am satisfied that the way I applied the movement to, to the intervertebral segment elicited an accurate assessment of the, the health of that segmental movement. In other words, and it may take three or four subtle, uh, you know, deviations that I create. For example, sometimes like for SI joints, you know, you can bend side to side or forward and back, but to get a SI joint, sometimes you have to really depress the shoulder and, and kind of add extra pressure pushing down to bypass all the lumbars and get into that, that SI joint. But that's the true of every joint. There's a certain way you, you move the joint that elicits the, the underlying uh, character of that movement. And so, that's when I'm done is when I feel like I, I am satisfied that I was able to, to, to do that uh, at certainly the key uh, segments that I suspect are involved or need to be corrected. Uh, I don't like do every segment, you know, OCDC in the spine every time it's, it's, it's not very smart to do that. You, you have to start with a general sense of, and then confirm or or disprove your your approach through your through your real time physical assessment of the patient's situation. Um, but certainly, there will be areas that that do need you know. Ultimately, you have to get good quality uh, test results. And again, how you apply the test then becomes the question, is the way you're doing the test correct? And if the way you're doing it is correct and the result is evident, then you're done. That's that's when you know you're you're done. The interesting one. Add one more thing. The interesting thing about palpation is good palpation really helps your adjusting. Yes. Um, and yeah. therefore, it sort of blends into that. You know, this whole thing of patient care is like this total, this total descent into. And you mentioned you're you're kind of the surrogate nerve nerve system for the patient whose nerve system is shut down due to one reason or another. You're the surrogate, and you kind of help it get over that shutdown. And so, 
that applies really on all levels. And Dr. Gonstead was always that way. He would be palpating and he'd go, okay, so I'm going to have to like get a little more lateral flexion on C5 and I'm going to have to bend the head down a little bit based on the way it feels. So if you're not like kind of motion palpating right up to the end, your adjustment probably isn't going to be good. So that's one, yet one more argument for being a good pal, a motion palpator. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Th thank you for joining me today to talk about this. Cause I do feel like palpation is often the thing we take for granted and then it kind of gets kicked to the side and just kind of assumed. And it really should be elevated a little bit more that palpation is such a huge part of doing what we do well, that it is something we need to be talking about and constantly working to try to figure out how we can get even better at it. Cause I don't think we can ever be too good. Uh, gosh, I, I don't think we can be too good at anything. I mean, we, no. <laughs> you know, uh, but I'm wondering if we want to invite students to kind of dialogue a little bit on this at some point, it might be good to get a small group and maybe do a zoom session or something. At least I would be open to it, but we, I'm still struggling to find the format to do this. And, you know, I guess once we're off the air, we can call and talk and stuff like that. But um, if if students want to do a little mini session on that's the one thing Zoom might be pretty good at is showing the subtle differences of performing the tests accurately, at least to get them started and and sh do a show tell uh, that might that might accomplish the thing we're hoping will happen. And that's to improve kind of the dynamic assessment of the spine breakdown, right? The spine, spinal function, there's a breakdown in spinal function. And we want to understand that breakdown, that dynamic breakdown and with, with a good test. So, Anyway, I would be open to it. We'll talk more about it, David. This is awesome that you're doing these sessions. And uh... well, you know, most most chiropractic schools, palpation comes very early in the curriculum, and then you move on and you start doing adjusting, and you never come back to it. But you, what you find is as students progress through, I find a lot of times as they get to the clinic level and they start seeing real patients for the first time, they suddenly realize that their palpation skills need to be improved. And there's no place in the curriculum to come back and do palpation a second time and try to elevate it. So it's something that we need to have a system for knowing how to take it and elevate it. Because I think even through your careers, you hit landmarks of year three, year five, year 10, year 20. As we're constantly learning, there's we got to be able to boost things like palpation up to a next level and not leave it behind. So I think this is great to talk about this kind of thing and have it on here. So thank you so much for joining me. Hey, it was wonderful. And yeah, again, I, I give you tremendous credit for this format and this forum. And, you know, it's it's what we need. And um, I, I encourage students to um, to do this. I, I can honestly tell you this, that the patient knows if you're getting accurate information off your exam. The patient will know that. Yes. The patient will listen to you and they will do what you say if they are confident that that what you're doing is legitimate. And so 
it just makes practice like this exquisite event that you do for your whole life. And so let's all get that, transmit that ability, have that ability, and let the patient know that we're operating on that level in their care and in your practice and your, you know, just, just your, all the spinoffs everywhere in your life will be that much more elevated and rewarding. Have a wonderful uh, evening and thanks again. Enjoy the holidays and we will talk. I'll call you. Yes, yes absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay, David. Keep up the good work. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Martin for joining me today. I can promise you in the future, we will be doing more to refine our approach to palpation within the Gonstead system. In the meantime, I hope this helps you to think about how you're palpating and what you can do to improve on what you're already doing. Well, that's a wrap for 2020 and our first year of doing this podcast. We're going to take the next two weeks off, but then we'll be back with more amazing guests for you to learn from. Until then, I hope you have the very best holiday season possible, and I'll see you again next year. Thank you.